Lord Jesus, today I'm so thankful that you took the areas of my life that I was greatly ashamed of and you made them beautiful. Whatever you're involved in, whatever you touch, whatever you come into, whatever circumstance we give you, you just make it beautiful. You never leave anything the same way that you find it. You're so amazing, Jesus. And lots of times we have all of these preconceived ideas, and these guilty feelings, and we feel we've got a cower beneath a God that's all-powerful. You are all-powerful, but you want to be our closest friend. And Lord, today, as I speak your word, Thank you. You're going to go around this place in our lives. And those areas that may seem so out of shape, out of control, those areas that we can't do anything with, those areas of our lives that seem so unproductive, full of hurt and pain, I really do believe that you're going to go into those areas and touch them, change them and make them beautiful because that's what you do. That's what you're about. You're a savior, the savior. You love us so you can't hold back. You can't hold back. You love to be involved. You don't come in and kick down the door of our lives and make demands, follow me, do this, do that. You respectfully wait until we invite you in and until we place that call. And the moment, the moment we make the call, you go to work making all things beautiful, making all things brand new. And we want to thank you, Jesus. Let's, before we sit down, could we just... I don't know, yeah, shout, sing, clap your hands, clap your feet, do whatever you want. But I think we should just say thank you. He turns the shameful places of our lives into a beautiful thing, into a brand new thing. We praise you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. Amen. You can be seated. Come on, let's thank our musicians this morning. They've done a great job in helping us and blessing us today. We're having a great day in church. Absolutely fantastic. Isn't it great? You know, I was thinking this morning, I was, my vocal cords were a bit rusty this morning, being honest, right? I was struggling to get a tune out of my vocal cords. I had a kebab. Ah, good old Welsh kebab, right? Is there anybody from England here this morning? Come on! Fantastic! Listen, let me just say this to you. If you're English here or any other nationality here this morning, we're thrilled that you're with us in Wales. We've got visitors! Thank God we never have a visit in Wales. Thank God we got visitors! We get excited when we have visitors. But you know what? If you're English, 
One thing you, that you need to experience, maybe today, before you leave this blessed land, is a good old Welsh kebab. Oh, if you haven't had a well, I mean, English kebabs are good, but I'm telling you now, Welsh kebabs, oh, there's nothing like a Welsh kebab. But when you get up on a Sunday morning and then you try to sing, oh my goodness me, there's about 100 notes coming out, 100 different notes, and they were all conflicting. But you know what I'm glad about? I think, I think Jesus just gave me a little bit of encouragement this morning when I was, you know, like whistling out my tune, right? He gave me a bit of encouragement, and he said, well, Dave, the Bible doesn't say make a joyful tune. It actually says make a joyful noise, and I can make a noise. I can't sing in tune, right, like these guys can up here, but I can make a joyful noise, so that's a good thing. You know what I mean? God, I tell you what, God just accepts us and He loves us. He doesn't criticize us. He doesn't see, you know, all of the ups and downs of our lives. And He doesn't come in as an inspector and as an interrogator to point out all of the things that we battle with. He just loves us, man. He just loves us and He just wants to be involved. And He really does want to help us. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that as a person because I need all the help I can get. I really do. I just, I need Him every day, and um, I need Him every moment. I really do. I'm that dependent on, on Jesus. I, I'm so thankful that He hasn't judged me for all the stuff that I've done, and uh, He's accepted me and loved me and saved me. This morning, I want us to go straight really to um, a passage of Scripture, and it's going to give you an idea of what we're going to be talking about this morning. It's found in Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 4. We're going to read two verses, verse 6 and verse 7. Paul the Apostle, this guy wrote most of the New Testament in the Bible, an incredible guy, is writing to his friends in Philippi, a church that was situated in Greece. Now, to give you some background about this man, this man loved the people that he was writing to. He wasn't just, you know, issuing out some orders. He wasn't just, you know, typing some email to some fan club. This guy, the Apostle Paul, really loved the people that he was writing to. And we pick up on chapter 4, the, the, the whole book, the three um, chapters prior to this are incredible. Chapters, go home, read them, packed full of richness. But we pick up on verse 6 and verse 7, and Paul gets straight to the point with the, with the people that he's talking to. And he says this, be anxious for nothing, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Be anxious, he says. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. 
Do you know, I remember reading that phrase, that phrase in particular, in my early 20s. Be anxious for nothing. And initially when I read it, when my eyes fell upon it, I was really anxious. And uh, on reading that, it evoked in me anger. When I read it, I, 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 was, I was stirred in myself and I was angry at what I was reading in this particular letter that Paul was writing to his friends. I was angry. It made me angry. And it made me angry for this reason. I thought, how on earth can a man make a statement like that, living in the world that he lived in and living in the world that we live in, how on earth can he make such a bold, outlandish statement like that, be anxious for nothing? It made me angry. But I desperately wanted and needed the peace that Paul was talking about. It, it was like a, a, a dual thing that was happening within me, a conflict within me. I was angry on one side at the fact that Paul was saying, hey, listen, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. That made me cross because I was anxious and I thought that it was completely unreasonable for a person and for the Bible to actually give me a message like this, be anxious for nothing. But I so desperately craved and needed this peace that Paul was talking about that passes understanding. Do you know I was angry with that statement for six whole months? Six whole months, every single day, I would wake up. And I think every single one of us are aware of what happens when we fall into that anxious place in life, when circumstances overcrowd us, when situations occur that surprise us, and it, it, it forms this knot within us that we don't know what to do with. We, we don't know where to go. We don't know how to offload this anxious burden. And these conclusions that are quickly being calculated with our mind that's out of control and run into places that it should never go. It, it made me angry. It made me cross. And I was battling with all of these things and like a bucket of cold water thrown right across my face, this word comes into my world and I can't stop it. I can't, you know... I can't get away from its voice. I can't relieve myself of what it's offering. And, it's say, and Paul is saying, be anxious for nothing. Battling for six months. Be anxious for nothing. What are you talking about? This doesn't work, man. This stuff in the Bible doesn't work. Be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. I was angry with this statement initially when it came my way. Where are you today? Are you in a place where life has made you anxious? We've all in this room had moments where our emotions have been knotted up, 
tight within, wondering what's ahead, wondering what's going to come our way. We've been anxious. The actual translation of this word, anxiety or anxiousness, actually means to fall apart. It means to crumble. It means to be broken by life. Now, don't worry. By the end of the service, you're going to be encouraged. You're going to be encouraged. But let's go there. Let's be honest for a moment. Let's just allow the surgeon, Jesus, to come into our world and bring peace where we so desperately need it. It means to crumble. It means to fall apart. It means to be broken down by life, broken down by circumstance, surprised in a way that you're shocked, whereby you don't know what to do. You don't know how to get through. Sudden news breaks into your world. You're having a great day. You're having a great year. And then sudden news breaks into your world. And that great day, that great year becomes a dark year. And a lonely valley. And Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. It made me angry and it might make you angry. But hold on a little minute. Hold on a little while. Because by the end of what we're going to be talking about today, we're going to have an opportunity to let the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, to come into the center of all of our anxieties and bring peace and calm where there's worry, fear, and anxiety. One of the biggest enemies within our Western world today is anxiety. And all of the multitude of the disorders that spring from this. To date, there are more than 200, listen to this, more than 200 classified forms of mental disorder. Within our, within our country. Recent statistics tell us that one in four people are bound by these chronic pressing illnesses. The garden, the, the garden, the gardener, the Guardian newspaper recently released an article in 2017 that stated that within 2016, in England alone, 64.7 million antidepressant prescriptions were prescribed by doctors to their patients, and they stated that anxiety is at an all-time high within our country. We've never known such statistics. We've never known such a rise in levels of anxiety, worry, and fear within our country. And within people's lives. And all of us have felt these pains. All of us have felt the uncertainty of what anxiety does to our lives. You know, anxiety is like jumping in your car. Starting the engine and revving the car as high as it will go. Redlining it to the max without engaging the gear and, ex and, and expecting the car to go somewhere. All you get is a lot of noise, a lot of smoke, high temperatures, and ultimately damage to the vehicle. That's what it's like. 
But I'm telling you now, when you get Jesus in the driving seat of your life, you say, but Dave, I don't believe in God. That's fine. We've all been there. We've all had moments in our lives where, 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 you know, we've questioned the existence of God. But I'm telling you now, God believes in you. God loves you and me. The Bible says we can't get separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. He's hopelessly and helplessly in love with you, whether you believe that or not. His grace rains down on the righteous and the unrighteous, those that know him and those that don't. He's in love with us, you see. And I really do believe that God hates, one of the things that God really hates is when we're bent over double, struggling to get up on a morning. He hates it because he loves us. He doesn't want to see our lives impaired and injured by worry or by anxiety. He wants to sit in the driving seat, put the vehicle into gear so that he can take you to places where your life can fulfill its full potential. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I've not come that you, 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 you are captivated by fear and depression and anxiety, but I've come to set you free. You know, I used to have a budgie called Joey. Oh, he's a lovely little budgie. He's a blue budgie. And we had this little cage for him on a stand. And when anybody came into the room, they'd see Joey in his cage on the stand. He was the center of everybody's attention. And he would whistle and chirp and, you know, do what budgies do all day long on the perch. And, you know, he'd play all of these tricks and he'd climb up on his cage and he'd climb upside down in his cage and he'd roll on his back and kick his feet. And he's a lovely little budgie. But I remember one day opening the door to the cage and I was expecting Joey to fly out. Why? Because that's what birds are designed to do. Birds are designed to fly. Birds are designed to, to enjoy themselves and flap their wings as they were created to do. I opened the door and guess what? Joey didn't fly out of the cage. Joey stayed in the cage. I couldn't even coax Joey out of the cage. Joey was sat on his little perch and he would not get out of the cage. I left the door open all day. And then one day I put my hand in the cage and I thought, you know what? I'm going to release Joey. I think Joey needs to fly about in a bigger environment, in a greater expanse. He shouldn't be confined to this cage. I put my hand in the cage and little Joey, I took his body in my hand gently and little Joey writhed in his body. He bit my hand repeatedly. He scrammed me with his little claws. He did everything he could do to stay in that cage. And I took him out and I opened my hand and he stood on my hand. And do you know what he did? He jumped on the top of the cage. He didn't want to leave the cage. The cage had conditioned him. The cage, the, the cage had conformed him. And, and, and shaped and molded him. And his whole security and identity was in the cage. And within five minutes, he'd climb back in the cage. 
Joey didn't realize that there was another life available. Joey didn't realize that there was a higher environment for him to flourish and soar in round the living room, on the curtain rail. All of those things were awaiting Joey. But Joey jumped back in his cage to solitary confinement, to just be admired by an audience that would enter the room and say, oh, there's a cute little budgie. Do you know, very often, anxiety and depression and fear and the ailments that we carry through life, it's just like Joey in the cage. God is saying, come on, come out of the cage. Come out of the cage. You know, lots of times, one of the reasons why, you know, people have a hard time with God. One of the main reasons why I had a hard time with God was because I thought God wanted to put me in a straitjacket without realizing I was in a straitjacket. God wants to take the jacket off. God is just saying, listen, come on. I've opened the door. Come on out. There's a bigger environment where peace reigns, where anxiety doesn't confine you and conform you and mold you and crush you down. You can, you can know and sense the peace of God in your life. I can talk about this to a degree, to a certain degree. There's others here today that could, would be far more qualified to talk about what I'm talking about this morning than me. But I can talk about this to a certain degree because I've battled with depression. I've battled with fear. I've battled with insecurity, with, with lots of things, for months sometimes. And my goodness, if I had a mild dose of it, I dread to think what, what people go through if, if they have a heavy dose of it. It's a black pit. It's a black hole. But you know what? Jesus loves us. He doesn't want us to be depressed. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He wants us to thrive and to grow and for our lives to accomplish all of the wonderful, beautiful things that He has designed for it. This may be the first time that you're hearing something like this. I remember the first time when I heard something like this. You know, I used to think that People who went to church, they were just like, you know, inside they were just like a dried up prune. No life in them. A dried up, nasty, shriveled up raisin inside. I thought that for years. That's why I didn't want to be one. And then, I don't know, this guy said, hey, listen, I was in a tent. This guy said, hey, listen. All you've got to do, you haven't got to pray. Well, that was good because I didn't know how to pray. He said, all you've got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says you shall be saved. All you've got to do is call on his name. Oh, Jesus, help me, man. And suddenly something will take place, and it did. It did. But yeah, he wants us to fly. He wants our lives to thrive. He doesn't want us to be burdened down. Jesus said, this is what Jesus said, and this is what he says to us today. It's an invitation, right? It's an invitation. Come 
And you can't get a simpler invitation than this. Come to me. Jesus speaking. Come to me, Jesus said. This is the invitation he gives out to all of us today. Come to me. If you're weary, heavy laden by the burdens of life, come unto me. I will give you, listen, rest. Rest. Peace. You give me, this is how it works. You give me your burdens. You give me your cares. You give me your worries. You give me your fears. And I will give you my rest. But Jesus, I haven't been to church for years. Don't worry about it. Just come. Just come. Come to me. But Jesus, I haven't been a good Christian. Just come. There's no condition to the invitation. Just come. Just come. It's fine. Just come. Because I love you. I don't want you to carry all of that junk and all of that stuff and all of those things in your mind. You know, the root cause of anxiety is contemplating a future without God in it. When we contemplate a future without God in it, anxiety comes from everywhere and anywhere. But when God is in our future, when we begin to contemplate God and fix our eyes on Him, guess what? Anxiety doesn't hang around. In fact, one man in the Old Testament called Isaiah said this, He or she whose mind is stayed on Jehovah is kept in perfect peace. What is that? That's a man or a woman contemplating God in their future and in their present. And as a result of that wonderful contemplation, Peace, and not just peace, perfect peace becomes your portion. Let me ask you, what are you contemplating? What am I contemplating in my future, in my day? Has it got God in it? Contemplate Him. Now, the amazing thing, we're going we're gonna to wrap up. Can I, can I have 10 more minutes? Ten more. Ten more minutes. Ten more minutes. And we're going to have a good cup of Welsh tea. And I, and I, and I, yeah, we are, James. We're going to have a cup of tea. We're going to have a cup of coffee. And me and you are going to have a biscuit down by there. Yes, we are. Right? One more. One more, A few more things just in this last ten minutes that I want to give you, right? Oh, man. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. This is a question, right? So where was he when he said it? That's a question, an important question, because it gives you a context. Examine the surroundings of Paul's statement, because it really does make the statement even more powerful than what it is. Examine the surroundings. Where was Paul when he said these words, be anxious for nothing? Well, You know, you would think to make such a statement, you would have to be in a nice plush office behind, you know, a nice desk, having a secretary serve you coffee and biscuits, and, you know, everything's conducive surrounding you to make such a statement. Be anxious for nothing. Well, that's easy for you, Paul, to say because everything's going well in your life. Well, Paul wasn't in a nice plush office. Paul wasn't drinking coffee. Paul was in a dungeon, a dark, dirty prison, chained up. 
not knowing whether he was going to live or die. And suddenly, he's, his heart and his concern is for his friends in Philippi. He doesn't want them to, to, to carry the weight of this world on their shoulders. He doesn't want them, you know, to live with anxiety or worry. He wants them to reach their full potential. He doesn't want them to be enclosed in some kind of prison or cage. He wants them to fly. And in order to fly, he says, come on, guys, don't be anxious for anything. You can see the conditions that I'm in. You can see the prison state that I'm facing. I'm not sure whether I'm going to live or die, but be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. This isn't a man. Read the letter. Read the, read the four chapters. This isn't a guy that's crumbling. You know, if I'd have been writing this, right? Do you know what I would have been writing to you guys? Right? Let me tell you. I've been in prison, rattling my chains. King's Church, be anxious for everything. Oh, my God, have mercy on me. Pray for me. It's the last moments. I'd be crumbling. But here's a guy that's found God. Here's a guy that Jesus lives in. Here's a man that's been transformed and changed. Here's a man that's confident even whilst he's being confined. And at the opening of the book in chapter 1, he even refers to the chains that's manacling his body. And he says, do you know what? Even these chains are, are actually forward in the gospel and the kingdom. He's even positive about the negative situation that he's in. This is a confident man. This isn't a man that's crumbling. Read, his, read, read the statements that he makes. And even to the Philippian church that was so reliant on the apostle Paul, do you know what Paul said? He didn't draw attention to himself. He wasn't saying, do you know, once I've gone, I think the church is going to crumble at Philippi because you need me so much. Oh, I need to be needed. You, you, you need me. Do you know what? He didn't point people to him. Do you know what he did? He pointed them to Jesus. He said, I'm confident in the letter. He said, I'm confident, not crumbling. He said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The future of the Philippian church didn't, wasn't based on the Apostle Paul's ministry. It was was based on the founder, the builder, Jesus Christ, the peace giver, the savior, the lover of our souls. I'm telling you now, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Oh, I'm getting a lot in in the last 10 minutes. I got to speed up. He was in prison. In prison. I'd have been saying, be anxious for everything, King's Church. The end is nigh, saith the Lord. Ah! No, the, there's no panic in his letter. There's no tremor in his voice. And this isn't some guy just trying to give a pep talk and be positive. This is a state of life. He's on the eve, on the eve of his departure. In fact, he says, I feel as if my, my life is about to be poured out like a drink offering on the floor. I don't know whether I should go to heaven or whether I should stay. To go to heaven actually is better. And he, you hear 
the thoughts and the thinking and the conversation. He's talking about his life in the final moments. Actually, to be with Christ is better, but for your sake, I'll hang around. Because I want to encourage you. I want to I champion you on. You hear him. This isn't a man that's crumbling. This is a man that has found a place in life where circumstance can't touch him. And the circumstances that were, that were striking him and coming against him were so hard and so severe. The sufferings that he was facing. It was in this letter, in this very letter, in the worst time of his life, the statement came to him where he said, I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do this prison. I know what it's like to be in an abundant place. I know what it's like to be in a place of lack. I can do both. I can do abundance and I can do lack. I can do prison. I can do shipwreck. I can do, you know, being lowered from, from a city wall because everybody's after me. I can do it all in Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Jesus is going to strengthen you this morning. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to, he's, going to, he's going to strengthen you in the inner man so that you can go through every situation and every circumstance that faces you. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Last three minutes. Where he was. Where he was. When he spoke what he spoke, that for me really does authenticate. It really does authenticate the person that is instructing us here. You know, I remember a long time ago when Faye was expecting our second child. And, uh, you know, you go to these, these classes, don't you? The maternity classes. And I was there as the little learning husband. And she was there. She'd already, she'd already had our first child, Daniel. And now she was expecting Eden. And this midwife began to instruct her about all of the things that she had to do as a mom. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do this. Da, 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 and bottle feeds and breastfeed. And uh, bottle feeds, no good. You've got to breastfeed. And all of the instructions. And you've got to make sure of this. You've got to make sure of that. La, 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 la. And she was quite heavy. This lady was quite heavy. And Faye was just, yeah, okay, thank you, like Faye is. Yeah, thank you for that. Lovely. And then right at the end, right at the end of it all, Faye just asked one question in the 40-minute dialogue that was dominated by this midwife that was very passionate about things regarding parenting. Faye asked one question, and this was the question. How many children do you have then? <laughs> you know where I'm going. How many children do you have? And do you know what the lady said? Oh, I don't have anybody. I, I, don't, I don't have any children. You see, it's easy to give advice from a textbook. I can get up here every week and just give you, I can spout out Bible verses. I can, you know, just parrot fashion them out from a textbook. But I'm telling you now, I, 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 I would never want to do that. I met him in my dark hour. I met him in my depressive valley. I met him when, when I thought that I couldn't get through and my mind was being tormented and tortured by thoughts that I couldn't control. And he gave me peace. How did he do it? I don't know. But he did it. 
Why did he do it? I know why he did it. Because he loves me. He loves me. And he's going to get you through. He's going to get you through. My respect is to Paul, to the words that he spoke. I'm no longer angry by these words and by this statement. Why? Because the man and where he was authenticates the word and the message that he spoke. Previous to this, just a few lines before, this very statement made in a prison. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, slow down now. I mean, this is too much. It's incredible, the life of Jesus, the strength that he gives you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you don't get it, again, I say rejoice. And he says this, the Lord is near. That's why you can rejoice. But the circumstance is so hard. The Lord is near. Circumstance is not God. That sudden ugly news is not God. God says, be still and know that I'm God. I'm God. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm never going to leave you alone. I'll never forsake you. Rejoice in the Lord. You may find it hard at first. But whether it's tonight when you retire to your bedroom and you're on your own, you say, oh God, if you're out there, would you please, would you please give me this peace? Do you know what? He hears every single distress signal that we send his way. We send his way. Your life may have been sending distress signal after distress signal. He hears, and He's coming. He's coming to your aid. Finally, Philippians 4, I'm just going to read it to you. Now, again, this is in the same chapter where Paul says, be anxious for nothing. He says at the, at the beginning of the chapter, rejoice in the Lord always. But Paul, you're in prison. Rejoice. Come on, rejoice. Then he says, be anxious for nothing. Let your request be made known unto God. And suddenly, speak to God. Speak to God. Contemplate God in your future. And what you're going to find is the peace of God is going to wash in to your life. And it's going to pass understanding. You're not going to understand it, but you're going to experience it. And it's going to be your portion, your position in life. And then finally, finally, imagine this. The guy's in prison. He says this. Finally, he wants to leave them with wisdom. He wants to leave them with direction and a way forward for the future so that this peace that God wants to give us is retained and enjoyed and, in, and enables us to go through every situation in life. He says, finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. Meditate on those things. Chew on those things. Eat those things. Get the nourishment from the good in life. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And then he says this, and the God of peace will be with you. 
Oh, the God of peace will, I'm telling you, church, will and is with you. The God of peace. I think we can give him praise. I think we can give him praise for his goodness in our lives. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. You see the ups and downs of our lives. We've come to another day where, Lord, we've come to the ending moments of this service. Thank you for these people here today. They've listened to your word, which I believe you gave me because you love us so much. You don't want any single one of us to be chained up, to be bent over double internally and mentally bound. You want us to be free. Lord, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice right now. And I ask you that your peace would invade their lives while every eye is closed in this place. If today you want to ask Jesus into your life, it's quite a bold move. I realize it's quite a big step. But you're not stepping out of anything. You're not stepping into anything or out of anything that's going to bring you harm. You're coming into the loving arms of a Savior, the Savior, Jesus. If you're here today and you want to, like I did, invite Jesus into your heart. He's actually called, listen, wait for it, the Prince of peace. That's his name. It's his name because it's what he does. Wherever he goes, he dispenses peace. Would you like the Prince of Peace to dispense his peace in your life? Then I'm going to pray a prayer right now. Give you an opportunity to do that. Let's close our eyes. Pray this prayer with me. Praying it may be for the first time. Say this. Jesus, I do believe in you. I ask you to forgive me my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Dying to save me. Dying because you love me. I call on your name right now and I ask you to be my Savior, my friend, the one that will be with me, Prince of Peace. Now, if you prayed that prayer while eyes are closed, would you lift your hand up quickly? I'll see it and then you can put it down. We just want to give you a Bible. Are you here this morning? You prayed that prayer. Maybe for the first time. Don't be afraid. We want to give you a Bible. The Prince of Peace has come into your life as a result of the prayer that you prayed this morning. If you didn't pray that prayer, you want to pray that prayer, come and see us afterwards. Or you prayed that prayer and you're a bit shy to put your hand up. That's fine. That's fine. You called out to God. 
You can pick a Bible up at the end of this service. Haven't we had a great day today, church, in this place? Listen, let's stand to our feet. I think we should thank Jesus for his goodness. We're going to sing before. We...